Thank you for listening to the Grace Church Podcast. You are listening to Rooted by Eric Platt, where Eric is going through his life experiences, wounds of his own heart, and the ways that the Spirit of God has healed those things from an understanding of the Grace message. If you would like to learn more about Grace Church or find other messages, please visit us at graceorlando.com. All right, so I've got the word today for you guys, for everybody that was going to come. If you are disqualified in any area of your life, that's what qualifies you for his grace. I mean, you're looking at a, a homeless drug addict that he met in the midst of doing things that were horrible. That's the best way I can put it. If I told you the stories, you would cringe. And he met me where I was, and he loved on me when I didn't deserve it. That's what changed my life. There's nothing else. There's nothing I've done to change me. That's what's changed my life. That's my testimony. That's my boast. All Christ, none of me. So anyways, today what we're going to talk about is self-hatred and regret. One of the first telltale signs that you have self-hatred and regret is that you are always offended with people. Hey, I'm still offended with people at times. Obviously, I'm not there yet, right? And I'm the guy teaching the class. We all, we all are working through our issues, so to speak. The Hebrew word we're using for this is nakam, and it means to be unfavorable to oneself. To be unfavorable to oneself. How can we be unfavorable to oneself when we know that he is favorable towards us? And it's not based on anything we've done or haven't done. It's based on what Jesus did. Remember I was talking last week about corruptible and uncorruptible things? Think about this. The payment that paid for our sins was uncorruptible. It was eternal. So then how come our security of salvation isn't there, as some people would say? And for those people that think that there's no security of salvation, you beware. And I'm not talking to anybody specific in this class, people that would listen to this. You beware. Don't think that you can't if that's what it is. So this Hebrew word, nakam, is noon, which is fish darting through water, chet, offense, and mem, wa uh, waves of water, chaos. So to be in nakam, to have self-hatred and regret, life is surrounded by chaos. Life is surrounded by chaos. How does this all work out for us? I mean, we all have got things that we've done. We, matter of fact, some people in this room, including myself, we got things that happened 26 years ago that are coming back. I had to send out money to the courts and take care of all this stuff, something for 26 years ago. And I was like, man, that, that really threw me for a loop. I mean, it's like I felt like a criminal. You know what I mean? I weren't for my arrest. I'm surprised they didn't take me to jail when we went into the jail. <laughs> I came in. I didn't walk out. See you in a month, Kim. I got to do time served, you know? And so what happens is, is because we don't understand that Jesus bore your self-hatred and regret, and he carried it so you don't have to. Let me say that one more time. Jesus carried. See, we don't really realize what happened to the cross. I'm discovering more and more of this. Jesus literally carried every single person's self-hatred and regret past, present, and future all at one time. And God saw fit to judge it, condemn it, and punish it in the body of Jesus Christ so that we would never have to carry it again. Why are you becoming liable for something that Jesus already became liable for? Think about that. It's like, dude, if you, if you owed the bank $10,000 and I came and I paid your debt and I became liable for it and the debt was paid, why would you still carry the burden of a debt that's not there? You wouldn't do that. 
well, why are we doing this? What came to me was Romans 8, 28, 29. And so we know how it goes, but I'm going to go in reverse. I'm going to start from the latter scripture and go to the, the scripture before that. So for whom he foreknew, he also predestined. So foreknow is pro-gingosko, which pro is a prefix, which means before, and gingosko means to know, to know beforehand. And then predestined is uh, pro or ridzo, and it, and it literally means to mark out something. So before any of this ever happened and before you were a twinkle in your daddy's eye, God foreknew you what your situation was going to be, and he already marked out a resolution for it, which was Jesus. So why? He would work it all together for the good. Work together as son and ego. And it literally means helps with the work. You know God carries the load? Some people try to carry the load, but God carries the load. He's a present help in time of trouble. You know, I had somebody that I really do respect. They just, we just have different belief systems. Not that I'm right and they're wrong, but they said, God will protect you if you're doing the right thing. God will protect you if you're doing the right thing. Better watch out. Better not cry. Exactly. But who is really doing all the right things? You know, I know that, like I was telling Nikki, over 10 drug overdoses, many times I've been in situations where I've had guns to my head, shot at, all these different things, and I was doing the wrong thing. Some of that time, I was not even saved, but God protected me. Isn't that amazing? Even when we fail, God protects us. Why? Because every failure was laid on Jesus. He was judged, condemned, and punished so that we would have a legal right to be protected. I love it. He's just that good. And all that in a bag of chips, extra large Dr. Pepper, a moon pie, and a little mint on the pillow. He's all that. And then I love, so he works together for the good. Agathos. Beautiful. He, he takes everything that you've messed up and he turns it around and he makes it beautiful. Amen. That you become a trophy of his grace for the world to see. Do you know, grace isn't of this world. Does everybody understand that? Being a good person is of this world. There's a, I know a lot of people that are good. I mean, really, like, good people. Like, they, they do the right thing, all that. But that's not out of this world like grace is. Grace is when you give and do unto people who don't deserve it. You know, uh, there's a, they have a law. I didn't know about it. I found out when uh, me and Javen uh, met with uh, the guy that's on the board to the jail, and he said, do you know if somebody gets a male, gets caught urinating outside, they charge him with a sex crime? And I was like, that is ridiculous. That's ridiculous. Like, how, how are you going to categorize somebody that really did something that ought not to be done and somebody urinating outside? And you know what that targets? Homeless people because they have nowhere to go. I went, into a, uh, I went into a gas station and, um, you know, that I always go to to fill up fuel in, in my motorcycle, and uh, it was locked. I was like, oh, there must be somebody in there. So I'm waiting for, like, you know, five minutes. And then finally, the girl comes up. She goes, oh, are you waiting for the restroom? Here's a key. So basically, they shut it down, and I get it, a business. I'm not, I'm not, there's no judgment there, but it's like they don't have nowhere to go, and then all of a sudden, to make things worse, you're going to set them up with a crime that will affect them for the rest of their life, if they try to do get out of their situation and they try to move into an apartment, do you know what they're going to be on that sex offender? And then all of a sudden people are going to look at them and all they did was urinate outside. 
That, that's how bad, that's the world and it's legalism and it's like judgment and it's all these things. I agree in the legal system. It saved my life. There was times that it was better for me to be locked up than on the streets because I was going buck wild. There is a place for it. But taking it to a place where you're just, you're harming people, you're not helping them, that's not right. So anyways, testimonies. Do harm to oneself. You, you sabotage yourself. You know, some, I've met people, they can't be in any personal relationships because they've been so wounded um, that they sabotage a relationship that would be good. See, me, I was a cutter before cutting was popular. Before it was a trend, I was already cutting. You can sort of see right there. And what I would do is I would take a razor blade or a knife and I would just cut and cut and cut. Why? Wow, I hated myself. The stuff that I was doing and then the regret from the consequences that came from. I mean, man, I mean, I'm talking, I was a teenager and I was kicked out of my house. I had to live on the streets, you know? And it's like, and I used to cover it with one of those wristbands, like those tennis wristbands. But you know what happened? The blood would soak through and then people, what's going on with you, you know? I would just cut and I would just cut. And I, so I know all about that. Before cutting was popular, I used to cut. Why? Because I just felt so much hatred towards myself because I thought it was my fault. I was listening to that song, uh, We Didn't Start the Fire. It was always burning since the world's been churning, right? You ever heard, anybody ever heard that song? And I was thinking about that, and I was like, it was Adam's fault. It wasn't our fault. By one man's disobedience, we all were made sinners. We were born into sin. We had no choice. Now, the great thing on the other spectrum of that is God's grace. Well, guess what? Jesus didn't deserve it, but he took it, right? So he made things right, but we didn't start it. Hey, listen, it's not your fault that you've done the things that you've done. Quit carrying that. You were a broken person. Would you expect a car that had a messed up engine to run right? You don't have to carry that anymore. Well, you need to take responsibility for your actions. You know, that's condemnation. Because the only thing you can really do is go to Jesus and ask for help. But like anything outside of that, that's not real help. Are you hearing me? I went through therapy for two years with my mentor. And it was Jesus-centered. And I got a lot of help. Jesus, yeah. But if Jesus is the center, if Jesus is not the center, your solutions to try to make something wrong right. Now, hey, listen, I'm not saying if you don't hurt somebody, you shouldn't go to them and say, hey, forgive me. I'm sorry. Yeah, that, that's, a, that, that's fine. But you carrying that burden that now you have to pay that back, that's not fine. So when uh, I used to go, uh, when I was at the Dream Center and I was uh, in the um, children's and youth department, uh, they, it used to be called Metro Kids. It's not there anymore, but it was at the time. And uh, we went to this church type of, you know, conference. And they had on pornography. So I was like, oh, I'm going to go. I mean, you know, I wanted help. It's not like I didn't want help. I just couldn't, I, I, I couldn't stop, you know. So uh, I, I went in there and, um, dude, it was death. It was condemnation and death. You know what their solution was? Every time you have a lustful thought, take a rubber band around your wrist and snap it. Well, do you know what? Two months later, I had two swollen wrists, and I was in worse shape than I was when I started. Because anytime you try to fix it on your own, it gets worse and worse and worse. But when you stop and say, Jesus, I can't, only you can, all of a sudden, he'll bring help. And it might not be the way that you think that he's going to do it, the way he delivered me. And I've got uh, nine years, almost a, a decade free of pornography, and it's like it came in a moment listening to a Joseph Prince CD and his love. And he loved me. That's what set me free. Yeah. Haven't looked at it since. 
so yeah, I used to cut myself, and even to this day, man, I'll, I'll, like, I'll get angry at myself for something, and I'll hit myself in the head. I'm talking hard, man. I'm talking leaving welts. And every so often, I still struggle with that. Because the stuff that I've done, if you only knew, you know what I mean? It's like that stuff comes up sometimes. And when it does, I don't know how to deal with it, and that's how I deal with it. Back in the day when I was on crystal meth, I used to bang my head against the wall until I'd knock myself out. Self-hatred. Regret. You know, Jesus took care of the regret. You know that. Azazel, the scapegoat that was on the outside of the day of Yom Kippur with another priest. And what was going on in the inside is the high priest was in there offering up blood for the sins of Israel. And, of course, once he sprinkled the blood on the mercy seat, guess what the high priest would say? It is finished. Those words sound familiar, don't they? And then it would, they, it would let them know that it was finished from the outside with the shofar and then they would take the scapegoat, Azazel. This is in the Talmud. It talks a lot about it in the Talmud. Um, and basically, the uh, priest laid all of the regrets of the nation on Azazel and put him out of the camp. Why? Jesus was, Jesus was crucified outside the camp. So they couldn't see what was going on inside. So this was an illustration what was going on inside, outside. And it, sometimes what happened, it says in, in rabbinical tradition that Azazel would come back into the camp. So what they did was walk him to a cliff and they'd push him off the cliff. Yeah, sabotaging yourself as well. We can do that a lot of different ways. None of this is to point out anything wrong. But if you do notice something, guess what? Take it to Jesus. That's all you can do. Lord, I can't. I can't. You can't. And it might not happen immediately. Sometimes it does happen immediately. Things happen. I've, I've had that happen. I've had immediate results. But sometimes there's a process and you walking through it. Now I can help more people because I know the process of what it's like to walk out of something. Everybody's heard of Mary Magdalene. What do we really know about her? Hey, scholars have a lot to say about this woman. Um, so just in the order, let's talk about what her name means. Her last name wasn't Magdalene. It was where she was from. Like with males, you would see Simon Barjona, son of Jonah. With women, you would see what, what, whatever the place they were from. It would be their name and the place they were from. So here, Miriam is Miriam in Hebrew, and it means bitterness and rebellion. Of is Ma, and then Magdalene is Migdal. It is a place in the northern Sea of Galilee, and that's where she lived. But also, you know what it also means? A bed of flowers. So she was rebellious and bitter in a bed of flowers. You know what? Me personally, she had outer beauty. She had an outer beauty to her. But inside, she was bitter and rebellious. Mar is the word for bitter, this is, this is, which is the root word for this, which means the chaos person. See that word chaos keeps coming up? You know, in the word uh, shalom, it means to destroy the authority hooked to chaos, Right? Chaos is, is, especially in the Hebrew, that idea, think about what chaos is. Chaos is like getting on I-4 yesterday with traffic backed up for 30 minutes before, the, before, the, you, know, before you moved. You know, chaos, and everybody's motorcycles are cutting through trying to get to bike week, all this chaos. Now, we know, according to scholars, so listen, I don't need anything back to me. Oh, Eric, I don't agree with it. Listen, Quit trying to find out what you don't agree with me and find what you do agree and receive that and get the healing that you need. Because guess what? Even scholars can be wrong. So our information isn't 100% accurate, okay? But what, uh, 
what we do know is, is from according to scholars, she was the woman caught in, a, in adultery. That happened first in John 8, 1 through 11. Then she was the woman with the alabaster box in Luke 7, 36, 8, 4. 8, 4. Why? Because she brought the alabaster box of, because of what Jesus had done for her first. I just go in the order how grace works. Have you if freely received, freely give. So grace comes first, then the action comes forth. It's not the action brings the grace. The action that already brought the grace was Jesus. His action brought the grace. Okay? Um, and so the woman caught in adultery. So let me give you a little idea of what that would have been like. Okay? Um, so what's interesting is that there was no man. There was no man. Probably one of their buddies. Do you know it was very common for married men to... Uh, to lay with prostitutes? What about Judah and Tamar? Anybody know that story in Genesis? Judah and Tamar. That was his daughter-in-law. But he didn't know. He thought she was a prostitute. So he gave a token uh, of his staff that belonged to him, and I'll bring you the money later because I didn't have the money. So this stuff happened all the time. Because remember, adultery, it would be the woman laying with a married man. Okay, are you getting this? Now, we're not, nobody's condoning adultery here. I'm just saying this is what it was. And in that culture, for some reason, I mean, that's when they could have all the different, you know, wives, concubines. I mean, things were a little bit crazy. You wouldn't want all that. Trust me. You don't want all that. Okay? Um, but anyways, so she was caught in adultery. Now, the Talmud, so I, I am referring to the Talmud, says that she could be stripped down and beaten and dragged to the front of the gate of the city and be judged and stoned to death and left as an example to anybody else that would do this. Do you know what? Here, let me tell you about religion. Religion will allow somebody to die just so that they can prove that they're right. Because they cared nothing about this woman. And they were willing that she, was die, she would die just so they could catch Jesus in, in a trap. Because that's what it was. It was a trap. Well, hey, Moses says, anyone caught in adultery shall be stoned to death. So just imagine, basically, here, let me give you a better idea. Mary Magdalene is a picture of the church because it, it's, it's the bride. Just imagine as a woman to be dragged out naked, beat up, and thrown before a bunch of men to judge her and to stone her with huge stones. And then they leave the rock pile there as a, as a testimony of what will happen to anybody that does this. Just imagine that. And then, they, of course, they try to trap Jesus. And I, he just smooth. Just the way that he comes out. Like, it's like they, they, they could never say anything back to them. They just got mad and said, how can we kill this guy? You know what I mean? They, they couldn't figure out anything to get this guy. For all those years that he did ministry, they couldn't figure it out. You know what I mean? And, uh, and what was the whole thing? He's like, hey, let he use out without sin cast the first stone. I mean, dude, who comes up with this stuff? And from the greatest, right, the leaders to their, to their disciples went away one by one till nobody was there, and it was just Mary and Jesus. Woman, where are your accusers gone? Is there no one left to condemn you? No, Lord, neither do I condemn you. Now go and send more. See, a lot of people take that out of context. What they say is, oh, you shouldn't send anymore. There's nobody in this room that hasn't sinned in the last week, including me. I'm just right. I mean, some form or fashion or another. I'm not saying I'm out there looking at pornography or doing buck wild, getting high on drugs or anything like that. But there, we've done things, you know, right? What he was saying is, 
you don't have to live the life you've been living anymore because I'm not condemning you. Now that you're not condemned, that will empower you to go out and not live the life that you've been living. And man, she was at the cross. She brought him, as we're going to read about, the alabaster box, which some, some theologians say was a year worth of her wages. I mean, you know, and it's like, you know, wow. And did you know also in Migdal, if a woman didn't get married or she was a widow, prostitution was their only alternative for making money. She was forced into a life she never asked for, just like we were all forced into a life we never asked for. I didn't ask to be rejected and humiliated in front of the seventh grade class by a woman. I didn't ask for that. And that devastated me. That ruined me. That was where it all started. Then pornography came in, drugs came in, and it just took over. And we all got our things. That took over. It doesn't have to be the same as mine. The alabaster box. I actually want to read through a little bit of this and then wrap it up. He's comparing this woman to the Pharisees. Why is he doing that? He's trying to show us a contrast of what religion looks like and what genuine grace looks like. And my discipler, he was a sergeant of arms, hell's angel, that lied with cirrhosis of the liver in his bed dying, and he cried out to God. He goes, God, if you get me out of this bed, I'll serve you for the rest of my days. He didn't understand grace then, but his heart was in the right place. And three days later, he got out of that bed. And do you know what he called this? Luke 747, because... 747, chapter 7, verse 47, that's where it all goes down. And guess what? It's like a plane. It's elevated high because that's what grace does, is it elevates us high to sit at the right hand of Jesus. You know, I was thinking about this other day. I don't really think, I think we all need more revelation of what we look like to God. And I pray that over each one of us right now. We all need more revelation. I need more revelation. I got some, but man, I need some more revelation because what it says in here and sometimes how I see myself don't line up. They said, if this man were a prophet, see, that was the problem with the Pharisees. They never saw him as the son of God, prophet. He would have known, this is verse 39, would have known what manner of woman this is that touches him for she is a sinner. I love it. Jesus went out touching sinners. You never, you never saw him touch a Pharisee. And Jesus answering and said unto them, why? He knew what they were thinking. I love it. Jesus is God. He knew exactly what they were thinking. And listen to what he says. And Jesus answering and said unto him, Simon. If you go back and trace this word back, it's, it's, it's the word Shema. The root word is Shema, which is the most religious prayer that any kind of can play. You've got to love the Lord God with all your heart, your soul, your mind. Your... This is a representation of the law. He's talking to the law at its fullest with this guy. I have something to say to you. And he said, Master, say on. See, Master, they, they didn't get it. This was God. Jesus Christ is God, you know? And he goes, there was a certain creditor. Who's the creditor? He is. Had two debtors. One owed 500 pence, okay, that's a, a year and a half wage, and the other 50, that's two months wage. And when he had nothing to pay, he freely forgave them both. And I've got it written down here. Freely forgave, charizomahi, to grant as a favor, gratuitously forgiving. They didn't do anything. They just had debt. And when they had nothing to pay, they had nothing to pay. That's, remember I was talking about how bankrupt we are? We think we can do something to redeem ourselves from something? We are totally bankrupt. You have nothing in you of yourself. Not, I'm not talking about Christ in you. I'm talking about your self-effort. You have nothing in you to save yourself from anything. And I know this from personal experience. 
Simon answered, I said, I suppose. I love how the King James uses word like he knew what he was getting to, but it's like he had nothing to say. I suppose that the one he forgave most. And he said unto him, thou hast rightly judged. You have judged nothing rightly, Simon, up to this point, but this you've rightly judged. Simon answered, and I said, I suppose that he said to whom he forgave most, and he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, See this woman, I entered into thine house that gave me no water for my feet, but hath washed my feet with her, she had washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this, is wo this woman since the time I came in has not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil and that did not anoint, but this woman has anointed my feet with oil. So these were all traditions in the Middle East of things that people would do. The, 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 the kiss on the cheeks, the anointing of the head, the washing of the feet. They didn't do any of that for Jesus when he came in. And this was their custom that they were supposed to do this. He's like, you didn't do any of this, but this woman, she didn't just do that. She went exceedingly above and beyond. See, this is what grace does. This is the difference between religion and grace. Religion does exactly what's needed and nothing more. Grace goes exceedingly above and beyond. Just the truth. And he turned to the woman and said unto her, See, is this woman, I entered into thy house, thou gavest me no water for my feet, but she hath washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Those weren't, those weren't tears of sadness. Those were tears of joy. She knew who she was dealing with. And wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman ceased. Uh, the time I came in hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. So let's talk about loved much. It's in the aorist tense, past tense. That means there was an event that happened, which we go back to the woman, right, caught in adultery, that something happened, that Jesus did something for her, and this was her response, bringing that ointment to him and doing the things that she did. And, but to whom uh, little is forgiven, loveth little. And that is the present tense. In other words, at this time, Pharisee, you only love little. Now, did, did the Pharisee have less sin than her? No. It was she saw what she had and that she was forgiven that's why she loved much but they didn't see what they had and that's why they only were forgiven little and loved little that word uh, for forgiveness is a it's the verb it means sent away well jesus didn't die yet eric how could that be because uh, Revelations 13.8 says that he was crucified before the foundation of the world that just went on the account of what had already been done in eternity sent it away you know, she was one of the ones, one of the only ones at the cross when he died, when all the other disciples except John, yeah, and his mom, yeah. But that, you know what I mean? It's like, that's what grace does. And so anyways, <clears throat> just a little point, you're like, okay, Eric, uh, th this woman's name ain't mentioned. So listen to this, verse 8, uh, chapter 8, verse 1. And it came to pass afterward that he went throughout every city. So afterwards, this is after this had happened. First, uh, the uh, woman caught in adultery, then the alabaster box, then this. Every city and every village preaching and showing glad tidings of the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him. 
And a certain woman, which had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, out of went seven devils. She was the first one that's mentioned that followed him wherever he went. Kim's got a testimony for you guys. Oh, just prayer? All right, come on. I would just like um, everyone just bow their heads right now. And I'm going to do this too. I just want you to put your hand on your heart and we're all going to repeat. Because sometimes I think we just don't even tell ourselves how important and valued and loved we are to Jesus. I want you to just say, I am deeply loved. I am, deeply loved. I am forgiven. I am forgiven. And, I am and I am God's favorite. Because every one of you are. I just want you to sit in a moment and just know how deeply loved and forgiven you are. Just release any self-hatred, even any regret. Let it just fall off and allow him to show you how valuable, how loved you are. And if it were just you, Jesus would have given all just for you. Whatever you're believing for that maybe you haven't seen, he's got it. It's not because you haven't done something. It's not because you're not doing something. Just trust his timing and his way. He's got you. Let that peace settle. Papa, we thank you for your love that loves away all the worries, all the stress, all the whatever, that it just melts it away. We thank you for that love. We praise you for giving Jesus. And we thank you for this moment. In his name, amen.